Hey, it's Pastor Ted Fabianic here from Faith Life Church in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to our podcast. We pray that when you listen to this, you'll be inspired and blessed to reach the best things that God has for you. Amen. Come on, let's honour Jesus and lift His name. Give Him a clap. Jesus, we lift up Your name. We honour You. We give You the glory. We open our hearts for You to come and touch us deeply today. We surrender to your Holy Spirit. Let the flow of life and teaching and ministry impart something into our spirit that shifts us. Yes. Amen. Amen. Wow, please be seated. Well, thank you for such a great welcome. Amazing. <laughs> I just love coming here. Thank you. It's been such a great to be in Pastor Ted's home and with the, with the family and surrounded by the family. And uh, to me, it's, if you can't build a family, you can't build anything much really. And they've got just such a wonderful family. And we felt just uh, such a great welcome here. And uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And I encourage you to open your heart to let God speak into your life. Because God wants to shift us in our thinking. In New Zealand, in our region, we've been through a terrible disaster. And disasters upheave you from the things you trusted in. And give you an opportunity and a window to rebuild your life. The last three years, there's been unprecedented shifts in the Western world. And I won't go into all the things behind it, but from a spiritual perspective, an extraordinary amount of evil has been released. And my observation of Christians is it's affected them very deeply and caused them to withdraw and shut down. And one of the reasons is because the message that's been projected be afraid, save yourself. Now, you understand from a health point of view, it's right to have concerns and to be careful. But that's not the message that was presented. The message that's presented is be afraid and save yourself. Now, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus just talked about the cross the resurrection, how he would suffer and then be raised from the dead and through that influence the world for generations to come, Peter's response is, be afraid, save yourself. And, and Jesus discerned that behind what he was saying was a wrong spirit. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you savor or value the things that be of the world and not the things that be of God. So you have to understand that in the middle of all that we've been through and, and, and Melbourne and Victoria's been through a very difficult time, that there's been spiritual forces unreleased which affect us. And God wants the church to come back into its place of faith again. Jesus uh, spoke, he said, If any man, the just, shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God wants to have pleasure in you. And what, he, what, what causes him pleasure is you trust him and you live a life that is advancing his kingdom. Make sense? You're getting quiet now. <laughs> well, let, let me just get into the message where I'm going to go today. And uh, I want to share a message. It's called... Deliverance and the kingdom of God. But I want to particularly focus on the kingdom of God and then connect it to deliverance. Because if the church here is in a season of advance and growth and breaking out financially, business, evangelism in various ways, missions, there is always a warfare. Paul said it like this. He said, a great and effectual door is open to me but there are many adversaries. And the church has to be able to stand in the midst of difficulties. Right now, our church, I'm so proud of our church, my son. We've been able to take in people. We've been able to take in hundreds of people and, and accommodate them, feed them, help them, minister to them. The church has been, it's just pumping right now. So good. So let me, let me just get into this message right now. Here's the first thing. Jesus' focus of his teaching and ministry was the kingdom of God. That was the focus of his teaching and his ministry. 
So if you were to ask, what did Jesus preach? He did not preach about getting saved and going to heaven. Try to find that. He preached a message from the beginning to the end of his ministry on the earth. His sole focus was the kingdom of God. That was his ministry. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he began his ministry, and the first message he preached, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So I encourage you to go back and look through the Gospels again at what Jesus preached. And you will find consistently, everywhere, his message was the kingdom of God. I don't know whether you realize, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to many over 40 days teaching. And what did he teach? Things related to the kingdom of God. So all through his ministry, from beginning to end, the kingdom. When he rose from the dead, the kingdom. So if I ask you to describe, well, what is the kingdom of God? I find Christians don't know. I think, isn't it extraordinary that Jesus would preach so much on the kingdom of God and Christians would not understand what he had to speak about or can't articulate the message of the kingdom. Not only that, when Jesus commissioned his disciples, he gave them authority to heal and cast out demons and he said, go preach the kingdom of God. So he taught it, he empowered his disciples to teach it, after he rose from the dead he taught about it, the kingdom of God should become the key thrust of our teaching and ministry and understanding of what God is doing. And yet, it seems to me to be neglected. Now, when Jesus taught on the kingdom, and I I'm, I'm not going to do all of this on the kingdom, I just want to open your thinking, so and then we're going to connect it to deliverance. Because then you see what deliverance is. Because the church seems to avoid teaching on the kingdom and it avoids teaching on deliverance. And the two are very closely connected. I'll show you why in a moment. So Jesus presented the kingdom through his teaching. And I encourage you, follow this up and go and look for yourself. He preached it in two ways. The first way he presented the kingdom of God was as an invisible kingdom that would be established in your heart like a seed and would grow and expand in your life. So, of course, the parable of the sower and the seed. The sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of the kingdom. It's not just any message. It's the word of the kingdom. And that whole parable, he said in Matthew 13, Mark 4, that's the key parable. If you don't understand that parable, you don't get any parables. And if you don't get any parables, you don't understand what God is doing. So many people look at what's happening in the world and they become very disturbed. But if you were to understand the kingdom and Jesus' teaching on it, you would not be disturbed. You would see it's unraveling according to plan. I can't go into too many details around that. I'm just showing you lots of seeds. So the kingdom he preached was that the kingdom is invisible but it's really present now, and when it enters your heart, it can transform your life and everything that you do. Marriage, family, relationships. And he said, not only that, that kingdom can come upon you in power, and you can experience that kingdom through an impartation, through deliverance, through great freedom coming into your life. So, but it's invisible. So he preached it firstly as an invisible kingdom which is what most of the church would understand. But he also taught that the kingdom of God would come as a visible kingdom on the earth. It would come in great power. It would come in great glory. And all the kingdoms of this world, all of the governmental systems, would fail and fall before the kingdom of God. And it tells us in the Bible that all the kings of the earth shall yield to him and worship him. It says that all the nations or the leaders of the nations of the earth will come to him and worship him. And if they won't, then there will be problems in their nations. 
Now, I, I can't distract too much, and I just want to throw things out to get you to start to think and to look. I've got a few messages I've done online that you could follow it up even further. I've done even a whole seminar on it in Christchurch. But uh, that'll all turn up in due time. So it's a, it's a kingdom that will come in great power and great glory. But in Matthew 24, it says, preceding it, it will be like the woman giving birth. There will be birth pains, troubles, difficulties, and upheavals in the earth. Like a woman giving birth. He said it'll be, and if a woman's giving birth, there's pain comes. And then there's a gap, and then there's more pain comes, and then there's another gap, and then gradually it gets more intense and more frequent until finally there's a birth. And he said the kingdom will come the same way. The earth will experience many upheavals, and they will come infrequently, and then more and more closely and severe until the coming of the king. I encourage you to make it a point of studying about the kingdom and what Jesus taught about the kingdom. So, for example, do you realize your life here is your training and preparation for the role you may or may not have in that kingdom? Now, if you lived your life that this is my training and preparation and God has a role for me in something much bigger it will change the way you do life. Read about the parable of the talents, and you can see it very clearly. And that's the parable of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a king that went to a far country to receive a kingdom and return, and he gave to his disciples, he gave talents. So what you do with your life now has eternal repercussions for you. But if you have just a mentality that I'm just to get saved and just do the best I can, you have missed it altogether. We are called to something that the Bible tells us will be a kingdom or fill the earth forever. Daniel saw it. John saw it in Revelation. The Bible is very clear. This is what the whole of the earth is waiting for. But before the coming of the king, there will be much upheaval and this last three years is just a little bit of that. Okay, so he preached it those two ways. So then that brings us to the question, what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? What does that term mean? Now, if I ask Christians, they probably come up with many kind of answers. And for some people, they think the kingdom is the church. Well, church, the kingdom. No, 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 no. The church and the kingdom are really different things. So I'm going to explain what a kingdom is so you can understand what the kingdom of God is. Because when you were born again, as we'll see in a moment, you were removed spiritually from one kingdom and brought into another kingdom. That's what happened to you. Now you say, well, I didn't, went, I didn't go anywhere. No, it was a spiritual change because the first aspect of the kingdom is spiritual. It's an internal thing. So something really happened. So let's ask the question then. When we say kingdom, what do we mean kingdom? So the kingdom means one, four things. Number one, the kingdom means the rule of a king. The rule of a king. Now, we live in a democracy. We don't like to be told what to do. And if someone tells us what to do, we get upset about it. But when you're brought into a kingdom, you're brought into the rule of a king, where the king's word is a command to be obeyed. So when you're brought into the kingdom of God, you're brought into a kingdom with, that's characterized by love and joy and peace, a kingdom that's characterized by prosperity and power. And the first thing is, is we come under the rule of the king. That means the king gives directives. You don't negotiate with a king and you don't vote him in or out. You are in a kingdom. Now that's a big shift in thinking. We're used to democracy where you have a vote. And you vote, and this is my opinion, I think this. But in the kingdom of God... One of the things you understand is you're coming under the rule of a king 
And, and so that means you recognize these things. Number one, I need to learn to honor him, and I need to learn to recognize authority, spiritual and natural, and relate rightly to authorities. So when the, the revelation of the kingdom will bring a revelation of authority that will shift your life. It will expose where we rebel and we just want to do our own thing. Second thing about a king means this. A kingdom means a territory or a realm that a king rules over. A territory. So it's usually some land, some place, some people that a king rules over. So if you've got a kingdom, you've got a king who rules, but he's got to be ruling over something. Someone. So therefore, a kingdom then is a, re, is, a, is, a, is a place, it's a territory. And the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God will eventually include every part of the earth and every aspect of it. Now, just think the shift that would be needed to change the current world so God's kingdom is established. Education would change, finances would change, politics would change, everything would change. So who is God going to use to change it? Well, that brings us to the third aspect of a kingdom. A kingdom has a people, citizens. What are the citizens of a kingdom? They belong to that kingdom. Their loyalty is to that king, and they are subject to the rule of the king. So when you were saved, you were brought into a kingdom to the rule of a king who is kind and generous and loving and sacrificial and serving and holy, and you're brought into a citizenship. You belong, and your citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven, in the realm of the kingdom. So you've got to learn to live like a citizen. If you want the blessings of the kingdom, obey the laws of the kingdom. I mean, if I go to another country, there's different laws. And so if I don't want to get into trouble and have consequences, I learn to adapt to the culture of that kingdom. And when you got saved, we've all lived our life, Aussie, Kiwi, according to a culture, a way of doing things, do it our way. But when you come into the kingdom, you have to learn another way. Another way of relating, another way of doing your life, another way of doing marriage, another way of doing family, another way of doing business. There's a whole realm that we learn or we should apply ourselves to learn. And so a kingdom, the fourth aspect of a kingdom is this. A kingdom consists of laws and culture. So we've got Kiwi culture. Some of it's good, some of it's horrible. You've got Aussie culture. I'm sure some's good and some will be horrible. You get Pacifica culture, some of it's good, some of it's terrible. That's the reality because the kingdoms of this world have been defiled by the God of this world. So whatever culture we come from, we have some things which are a gift to the world and some things need to be transformed. So when you come into the kingdom of God, there are values to learn. There's a way of relating and doing life. So if you want to know what that is, what is the culture of the kingdom? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Go to Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is the sermon concerning the culture of the kingdom. So you study it and you find how you live as a kingdom citizen. So most of us know about the Sermon on the Mount, but we're not thinking actually... Jesus is explaining how to live in such a way that all the blessings of God flow into your life. God will not bless what he didn't order. If he did, things would be chaotic. So God's blessing falls on what, what he has ordered or planned. So God has planned regarding marriage for a man and a woman to be joined in covenant. Now, if they learn how to fulfill covenant responsibilities, that is a blessed marriage. And when it's a blessed marriage, it's a joy to be with those people. If it's not a blessed marriage, it's a horrible thing. Fighting and arguing and division, all that kind of thing. So we learn, and that's what I've had to do from the beginning, is learn about the kingdom and how to live in the kingdom. Now, 
So I've only given you a little bit. I don't want to go any further down that track because it'll take me off where I want to go. But when Jesus raised up some men, remember he gathered 12 men to himself. What were they all called? They were called apostles. Why weren't they called pastors? Why didn't he call them pastors? Why didn't he call them evangelists? He didn't call them that. He called them apostles. So there must be something about an apostle that is connected to the kingdom. Because Jesus' message is the kingdom. And he said, to, to get that kingdom to work, I need to raise up 12 men, 12 apostles. So what is an apostle? Well, there's a problem right there. People can't describe the kingdom well, and they can't tell what an apostle is either. Because you hear all these words. Apostle? Oh, oh. <laughs> Sounds important. But what is it? Nothing in God is meant to be decorative. It's meant to be functional and valuable, adding value. So here's the thing. The word apostle is very simply a word that they had to make up because they couldn't explain what the word meant. There it is. It's a word they made up because when they looked at the original word, they couldn't find a way or any word that would say what it was. So they go, okay. We'll just change, we'll make an English word out of it. So the original word was apostello, away, send, send away. And they can't work out how to put that into English. So they just make apostello, or apostle, apostolic. There it is. And we look at it, ooh. And we say, oh, I don't believe in that. That's all finished. Really? Uh, or we say, oh, that sounds important. But what on earth does it do? Now, I'm not going to get sidetracked too much, but I want to explain what they understood it in that day to mean. In other words, if you lived in that day and someone said, like Jesus said, he said he's going to send, he said, the Bible says in Matthew 10, he sent them, apostello. He told them to preach the kingdom, cast out demons, heal the sick. He apostelloed them to do it. Now, they all understand, ooh, wow. We know what that means. We look at it and we think, oh, he sent them. Do you understand? You sometimes need a little culture to understand what it was saying. So the word apostello was used when the Roman emperor sent a general into a territory occupied by an army to overcome the enemy and establish the culture and law of Rome. Apostello. So when the emperor wanted to invade a new country and establish Rome's law in there, he apostelloed someone. He sent a general. And he sent up the resources and the armies with him. And they went out, they conquered the enemy, and then they established the law and the culture of Rome. Now you understand why Jesus needed apostles. People who would go into nations where hidden demonic spirits were operating, and they would contend and overcome them, they would minister deliverance, they would minister healing, they would preach about another king and another kingdom. And they would advance the kingdom of God and establish the culture and ways that God has of doing things. God's way when you get hurt is speak the truth, face the thing that's happened, and forgive the person, set boundaries. There's a way in the kingdom of dealing with stuff. We tend to just harbor it all, hold it in, bury the pain, get angry, and then we, and we, we, we it, it never stops flowing out in bitterness. I've been in the Asian culture in China, they said, 10 years is not too long to wait for revenge. <laughs> 10 years? You wait for revenge for 10 years? Who's waiting for revenge for 10 years? What does that do to you if you've got something you're angry inside and you're quiet and calm but you're planning revenge what is that that's not the kingdom of God so the kingdom of God is really practical it affects how you your heart and how you do life so Jesus wanted to send disciples to go into places territories where people are bound by demonic spirits and sin and to bring healing and transformation to their heart and set them free from the prisons they're in so that means if you have been rescued and brought into the kingdom of God your life should be radically different or on a path to be radically different you become a loving person 
Why? Because our, our king is a loving person. Our father is a loving person. We're, we're loving. We become a generous person. Why? Oh, because I have to give. Give so you can get something back. No, that's nonsense. That, that's the world does that. There's no evidence of God's kingdom in that. Our father is generous. Our king is generous. We are generous. That's what it's like in living in the kingdom. Generosity is the kingdom thing. It doesn't depend on what people do. Do you understand when you start to live out of the kingdom, you live from a different framework of thinking. Our father is forgiving. He's forgiven me a lot. I'm a forgiving person. I start the day willing to forgive. I don't wait until someone hurts me thinking, I don't want to forgive him. I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna, I'll get him back. You know, listen, what nonsense is that? That's not living in the kingdom. That's living entangled in the kingdom you came out from. <laughs> Interesting. So once you start, I'm going slow with this because I just, when you start to hear it, it, it challenges the thinking that you have. So, so apostello, Jesus had in mind, I've come to preach the kingdom. I've come to demonstrate the kingdom. I've come to deal with demonic powers so people can come into that kingdom. Now, to carry on my ministry, I need apostles, apostello, sent to make something happen. Now, get this. The church needs apostolic ministry, and God wants the people to become apostolic. If you're in business, he wants you to go into business, grow great businesses. But recognize there is spiritual and practical opposition, and you need to learn how to deal with it. To go into education, to go into whatever sphere. When I went into education, I was teaching. God showed me how to bring the presence of God into my classroom, overcome the spiritual powers, demons that trouble broken children, and get them learning and successful. That is the kingdom. It wasn't all about preaching to them. It's about changing the spiritual atmosphere and bringing the life of the king to them. Oh, you're getting quiet. <laughs> but, but this is what it's about. That's why we need to go back into the Bible and study the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is the most relevant message for today. And the church has got to stop. See, a pastoral uh, gifting or anointing will gather people together and bring them into community and care for them. An apostolic anointing will say, that's wonderful, now grow up, let's see what giftings you've got and how we can empower you to make a difference for Christ in the community. And mostly the church is asleep and disempowered and afraid to stand up and speak out. And this current season has shown it. Because when you do stand up and speak out, and there's many issues to speak out about now, there's such a massive hatred is manifested. In other words, it's becoming more and more apparent the hidden invisible kingdom of darkness is now more visible. Because it's showing up in the media, it's showing up in government, it's showing up in the way people treat anyone who asks a question or challenges a way of thinking. You understand, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I'm helping you see in context what's going on. There is an increasing clash of kingdoms. You need to know which kingdom you're part of and how to stand in it. See? And if the church is going to enlarge its influence and increase its influence, it will find pressure, opposition, and difficulty, and that is the norm. So a pastoral anointing or leadership of the church will want everyone to be happy. But it's impossible to make everyone happy. Pastors will want people to be gathered in community, which is an important part of the fivefold ministry of Jesus. But apostles want them to grow up, be responsible and mature and be active doing something for the kingdom of God. And some of you have been around a long time in church You've got to ask the question, did I stagnate and stop growing and start to live out of my past experience with God instead of a fresh encounter? 
Okay? And am I living as a contributor to the work of the kingdom, or do I just want the church to look after me and meet my needs? Do you, do you understand? This is the challenge that's going on in the church right now. And you, 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 we're moving where uh, the, the baby boomer generation is getting older, they're in retiring years, and the danger is that they just want, I'm retired. <laughs> well, wonderful, now you can do more for God. Oh, I didn't think of that. I was going to go on a cruise. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with doing that, but don't retire. Retirement is not a God thing. God has assignments for us to fulfill, and they change through our life. So when you get older and your physical strength is limited, you still need fresh assignment from God to focus your life and attention on. Because that's what sons of the kingdom do. You start reading back through the Gospels, you'll see it's all there. Okay, so now where do we then connect deliverance with the kingdom? Deliverance and the king. Let me read a verse for you here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. <clears throat> if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and plunder his house? Matthew 12, 28. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is being demonstrated. It's come literally upon you. Now the first thing is, Jesus talks about deliverance. Deliverance is the intentional act of working with the Holy Spirit to confront hidden demons which torment people. It's quite an assertive, aggressive action. It's not, we'll just be nice to you. I'll pray a little prayer. God bless you. That won't do it. Deliverance is a confrontation between two kingdoms, and it happens right where you are. Now, people don't like that because they, don't, they want it all to be nice and peaceful. Jesus was not nice. He was a peaceful man, but he was not nice concerning demons. And often, across the Western church, they have lost the power of God and replaced it instead with everything being nice so no one's disturbed or agitated. But I haven't been in any church anywhere where there weren't people tormented by demons. And if you love those people, you won't leave that issue unaddressed. You will provide ways to minister to them and set them free. What from? Fear, rejection, lust, addictions. It goes on and on and on. And people everywhere are tormented. Look at the cases, the mental issues that have risen up. They're not going to be solved entirely by psychiatric means or medications. It needs deliverance and the power of God. And who did Jesus authorize to do this work? Well, of course, kingdom people. Anyone in the kingdom who has faith can operate in the ministry of deliverance. These signs shall follow them that believe. You're not special people that does it. It's actually a ministry that's open for believers. And even if you don't go around praying for everyone else, you do need to deal with the demons in your own life, your marriage, your family, and your business. So there's no escape. Like the devil's not going to say, oh, oh, I'll just leave them alone now. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You, you are... I'll get to it in a moment while you're in a different kingdom, you see? Okay then. So deliverance is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. So deliverance, when someone prays and, and sets someone free from a demon, it shows some things. Number one, it shows Christ has risen from the dead and defeated the devil. It shows, too, that there is a real evil kingdom. Invisible kingdom. So just like there's an invisible kingdom of God, there's another kingdom which is invisible and evil and it has a plan for the world. And if you don't understand that, you'll be bewildered by what's going on in the world. It'll just be a mystery to you. 
But if you understand God's plan in the Bible, you understand it outworks towards a climax in history when the kingdom of God invades the earth physically. But prior to that, there will be end times characterized by upheaval. And there'll be people tormented by demons who need deliverance. So deliverance demonstrates there's an evil kingdom with evil beings who hurt people. And it shows that there's also a great and wonderful kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is present to set people free. And it shows that that kingdom is bigger than this one. So when some of the missionaries went into, uh, in the early missionaries went into uh, Mongolia, heard of Genghis Khan. His father was Kublai Khan. And they, they went to Marco Polo, some missionaries went with him, and they shared the gospel. And this is what he said. I perceive the gospel will be good for our people. It will help our people and our nation to be a better people and nation and prosper. But he said, I am surrounded by sorcerers. They can point the finger and people die. They can cause animals to die. They can cause sickness to come. Do you have anyone in your kingdom that can be more powerful than those people? If you have, we will believe Christianity. So go back to where you came from and return with a hundred people who can overcome the work of these sorcerers and we will turn the nation to the Lord. Two people returned and one died on the way and the nation remained in bondage because no demonstration of the power of God to set people free. I had a, a young woman and she was in a, in a mental hospital. She'd put herself in there because she'd attempted to commit suicide and she knew she had a serious problem. So I went to visit her with a pastor and we sat down and talked. I said, what is the problem? Why did you want to kill yourself? Why did you want to commit suicide? And she said, because I can't stand the defilement that keeps happening to me at night. I said, what are you talking about? She said, ever since I was a young girl, I've had spirits come to me at the night and torment me sexually. And she said, I cannot stand it anymore. She said, I was sexually assaulted growing up. She said, I am so angry and so defiled by what has happened to me, I just saw no end to it. And I tried to commit suicide, but failed. And now, of course, here I am. I said, well... I said, you need to just quiet down and get released from this place because they can't help you. This is the name of the spirit that troubles you. And because of the age it started, it didn't start with you. It's in your family. You are not to blame for any of this. This is a family generational curse, something hidden in the family background. No one's ever talked about. And every girl has been subject to this defilement in your family. I said, we can set you free. So we had two sessions with her. She was amazingly set free. You wouldn't have any idea now that she had, would have attempted suicide. She was the most vibrant, alive person. See, but it was hidden and not talked about. And some cultures, they won't talk about what's happening. It's hidden. Deliverance is where the kingdom, the rule of the king and the power of the king enters into this physical world and displaces demonic spirits that torment people. That's what it is. Does the church need the deliverance ministry? It does need the deliverance ministry. Probably you do too. I've needed it heaps of times. So here's the thing now. Now, I want to read another scripture and I want to talk about another scripture now. Uh, and here it's found in Colossians 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 and verse 13. And it's telling what the Father did through us, for us, through Jesus Christ. So if I ask, what did Jesus do? You'll probably say, well, he died on the cross. And why did he need to die on the cross? And we've got to answer some of those questions. But here's what it says that he has done for us. Okay? And uh, it says in Colossians 1 13, he, that's God, through the work of Jesus Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or translated us into the kingdom 
of the son of his love. Okay, now let me open it up for you and show you what's in that verse. How many know that verse? You know that verse? Okay, now I want to show you some things in that verse. Firstly, it says, God the Father has delivered us. So when you come to Christ, God delivers you. Now, you can't deliver yourself. The word deliver means to rescue someone from prison or out of bondage. So God sent Jesus to rescue you, to save you. We call it, I was saved. What do you mean saved? I was rescued. Did you save yourself? No. I couldn't save myself. I tried, but I was never right. I was falling short because of sin. So we need a savior. We need someone to save us because we can't save ourselves. People try to. They try to do religious works and things. You can't save yourself. You're in bondage to demons. You're in bondage to sin. Sin is spiritual. Demons are spiritual. You can't save yourself from them. You need someone who has power to save you. Now, if you could save yourself, Jesus wouldn't need to have come and died. But you need him to come and die on the cross and rise from the dead. And power is made available to save you. How do you get saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. In other words, you can't save yourself. It's by faith we're saved, not by any works of our own. All we can do, I'm imprisoned, I can't save myself Jesus, come and save me, rescue me, deliver me from what? He says, deliver you from the power of darkness and bring you into a kingdom. So you notice he's talking about two kingdoms. A kingdom called the kingdom of darkness and another kingdom called the kingdom of love. Now, which would you rather be in, a kingdom characterized by love or the kingdom of darkness? Now, here's the thing. Notice there, this is what he did. He delivered us, rescued us, released us, liberated us from the control of something. So what has he delivered us from? He delivered us from the power of darkness. That word power is exousia, authority, legal right, or governmental rule. So when Jesus saved you, he rescued you from a kingdom, from the rule of someone over your life. Not so you could just go and do whatever you want, but so you could be in another kingdom under another king who would treat you differently. See, this kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. Darkness means everything's covered, hidden, and secretive. So anything that's in your life that's secretive, hidden, and covered, a power can manipulate you and hold you and torment you. But when you come into the kingdom of God, now it's a kingdom I am loved, no matter what my condition, and he will treat me always in a loving, kind way. That's the new kingdom. We need revelation of the love of the God, the love of the Father. So, okay, now we've become subject. Now, so the kingdom we've come into is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom of provision, a kingdom of blessing, a kingdom of kindness, because it takes on the nature of the king. You were under this king, the evil king. Now you've come under this king, the good king, the kind king who sent his son to die for you. Isn't that great? That's what the stories that the kids watch are made up of, the evil king. You know, anyone who's watched some of these kids' cartoons, there's the evil king. And they look evil and they're dark and they're black and everything about them is like that. Then they come into the other kingdom. It's light and bright and good. These kids' stories show you the reality of what the invisible spirit world is like. Anyone, how many seen The Lion King? Well, The Lion King's classic for that. I watched, I watched a clip, and there was, a, there was a dog sitting watching the TV, and the evil animal came out, and, and the dog's terrified of this thing. Hyena, that's right. Well, who wasn't scared of them? They're awful things. But, but you understand, they characterize a kingdom. But that's what the invisible kingdom is like. I watched the story again. 
You, you start to see the reality of these kingdoms. Okay then. Now, here's the problem. This is the problem Christians face. When we came to Christ, we were living in a kingdom called the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians 2 says, we followed a course called the course of this world under the prince of the power of the air. We thought we were doing our own thing, but we were doing the same as everyone else. When you got saved, legally, legally, you were transformed or put back into your kingdom. So, into another kingdom. So you're now in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. We stay entangled in the old kingdom. That's why so many Christians are ineffective. Their life remains entangled and defiled by the old kingdom, and so they're manipulated. So they come to church, yay, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But it's like prisoners in a prison camp yelling. They're still in a prison camp. But that felt good. But they're still in a prison camp. So, so that's the problem right there. So legally, Christ has shifted you and put you in another kingdom, but you must do what you need to do to disentangle from things that defile you. <laughs> so lots of people are entangled. What does it mean to be entangled in something? You feel like you've got your feet caught in a net or something. <laughs> Can't get free. You're entangled. To, to be entangled means you're entwined in something and it's got a hold of you. So the kingdom of darkness entangles us and then defiles us so it can destroy us. So just because you gave your heart to Jesus doesn't mean it's all going to go well for you. Potentially it could. But the reality is, if you are remain entangled and defiled by the kingdom of darkness, in those places of your life, it will not go well for you. No people come. I've seen, you see in weddings, they will come up. They look at a wedding. Now, when the bride comes down the aisle, oh, she looks so beautiful. You know, and the man's standing there, and he's got the suit on. This is the great days getting married. And then you see him a few years later, it's really different. Because hidden things now have come out. And now they've got a battle going on in their life. Because they never resolve the things that entangle them and defile them and stop them building a great marriage. Building a great marriage requires effort. Building a great family requires effort. Building a great life or business requires effort. And part of that is disentangling from things which are evil and things that defile us and starting to learn to live according to God's design. So when we talk entangled, we're entangled when we're still doing things that we know are wrong. We're entangled if we're still reacting in ways that allow demons to manipulate us. Angry, fearful, timid, all that kind of thing. We're entangled if we've never recognized that our past choices have created legal rights for demons to keep holding us. And we've never dealt with it. Maybe there's been an abortion. Maybe there's been uh, an abuse. Maybe there's been some kinds of serious sins, whatever. And we never really brought them to the light, to the cross, for healing and deliverance. So they manipulate us. They form a legal right. Okay? People are entangled when we live our life just like the world does according to its values and priorities. Instead of changing and choosing God's priorities and God's ways. You are entangled. So for many people, they come to church, but the rest of their life, it's hard to tell them different from unsaved people. Because their way of doing life is so much the same as everyone in the culture, they've never let the Holy Spirit transform them and disentangle them from the old ways. And in, in the old kingdom, the devil has power to manipulate you, control you, and destroy you. So we have to rid our heart and life of those things that would give rights and holds to demons. 
all getting quiet now, isn't it? <laughs> so when, I came, when we came into the kingdom of God and got revelation we're in a kingdom, it caused firstly an, an immediate transformation of the way I related to everyone in authority in my life. Then there was an outworking of it in all of our relationships. That make sense? So what do we mean defile? Defile means to be contaminated, polluted. Means your character is, is, is uh, defiled or weak or lacking. So people need deliverance from spirits that have entangled them and defiled them. And in this last two, three years, I have found many, many people in bondage to fear, to grief, and to control, and needing to be set free again, disentangled from it all. So deliverance, the Bible calls, is the children's bread. Jesus, what Jesus called it. And, and God wants us to be set free. So what I have found is that the demonic kingdom extends tentacles to get a hold of you. Never seen an octopus? An octopus, those, the tentacles come out and they've got a sucker on it. Now, well, you just shake it off. Then they get two on, hey, wait a minute. Then it's three or four. Now, wait a minute. It's getting harder to get free. So one tentacle started to get suckers onto the person's skin and now suddenly you're getting a little bit alarmed because this is hard to get free of. An octopus or a squid. Anyone who's seen those things, they get the sucker on you. Hey. You understand that that is how the animal kingdom works, how an octopus works. Now, the demonic kingdom works the same way. It just wants to get a little hold on you, just a little thing, then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and now gradually you're being pulled into something that wants to destroy you. So we've got to be awake. We were singing about that today. Wake up, I wake, awake, awake, awake. But what are we awake to? You understand? It's not just about singing a song. To be awake means you are aware of the influences on your life. If you're asleep, you haven't got an idea. Don't know anything. It's all going on. You can't see a thing around you. But when you're awake and you're awake because of prayer and time in the presence of God, you know what's happening, you're aware what's going on, then you can take action and fight it off. So, great stuff, isn't it? So, so there's many ways that we become entangled and defiled. And there's two primary ways, if I make it really simple. The first one is when we violate the laws of God, do things that are contrary to what God has declared as his laws of his kingdom. So the, the, the law of the kingdom of God is the law of love. So I'm kind, I'm generous, I forgive. I'm not mean, nasty, curse people, get revenge on people. It's none of that stuff. It's a different character. But when I do those other things, now I've opened my whole life to demons to come and hold me. And Jesus specifically said, unforgiveness will give a right for demons to torment you, torment you, torment you, keep you going. Matthew 18, 34, 35. So one way they get in is we break the law. So like you're driving down the road there, there's a 50K uh, sign up there, 50K. You know what that means. That's the law. Go 50 and under, but don't go over. He said, I don't care about it. I'm going to drive at 100 because I've got to borrow a kid's car. <laughs> Next thing you know, flashing red lights, I've violated the law. It's no use saying, well, I come from New Zealand. It doesn't count. <laughs> we don't believe in that. <laughs> you understand? That's not going to cut it. He's going to give me a ticket. Maybe two, because I'm from New Zealand as well, you know. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I, I can't say I didn't know, and I can't say I don't care. I violated the law. He said, no, you broke the law. Well, I didn't know it was there. I didn't see it. It doesn't matter. You broke it. You still get the fine. Now you, want, you all understand that's how it works. And that's the same in the spirit realm. When you violate the laws of God, some of them, the consequences are delayed and they take time to show up, but they always show up. What you sow, you reap. 
Jesus said the wages of sin are death. So if you sin, there's always a consequence, even if you don't notice it. Sometimes it's immediate. Demons can get in. So anger, hatred, bitterness, fear, involved in unclean things, a whole range of things will open the door straight like that. So one way that demons get in is through legal rights. The other way they get in is where we get hurt and don't resolve it. Now when someone gets hurt and they don't choose God's way, bring the pain to the light and forgive, they will try and control it. They'll control their pain and control the people so they don't get hurt. And that means you have now yielded not to the Holy Spirit, but to a controlling spirit. And your relationships will reflect that spirit. Fear and control rather than love and freedom. Get the idea? In other words, you've been drawn in by a little hurt. A tentacle has got a hold of you, pulling you into a kingdom called control. That's, see, people don't start out doing bad things. They do little things and get caught up and entangled. Then the big things happen. And when the big things come to the light, there were years of little things going on. They were entangled, defiled, and then their reputation destroyed. Sometimes we get shocked when we see a great leader and then suddenly the stuff comes out, but it didn't just happen then. There was a long pathway entangled, defiled, and now destroyed. So God wants us to deal with any entanglements, defilements, and unresolved wounds there's a biblical way to deal with those things. And why do I want to deal with them? Because I want to live in and manifest the life of the kingdom. So some of those things that have defiled you and entangled you could be generational. They may be in your family. They may be things you've done, bitterness, being involved in occult activity, involved in sexual sin. The most common one these days is pornography, uh, sexual abuse those traumatic experiences, all of these kinds of things, an abortion, uh, even a miscarriage, having an accident, there's a whole range of these things. But if you know that your life has been impacted by something that has got you now entangled with fear, entangled with anger, entangled with lust, entangled with addictions, entangled in some way, and it's got a little bit of a hold on you, it will keep working till it defiles and then destroys you. The way we deal with it is very simple. It's so simple you can hardly think, well, how do I not see it? James 4, 7. Submit to God. In other words, surrender to your king. You want him to set you free? Surrender to him. Surrendering to him starts with saying, I am in trouble and I can't solve the problem. Help me. He said, what's the trouble? Well, it's this. I'm really bitter. Okay, why won't you forgive? Oh, well, I don't want to forgive. No, no, no. Submit to God means you surrender to his kingdom ways. Then, when you've done that through repenting, asking forgiveness, forgiving, breaking your agreement with that dumb stuff you got involved in, now... You can be set free. It says, now you resist the devil. He will flee from you because you now have authority. When you were entangled, you had no authority. But now you've repented and brought it to the light and brought it to the cross. Now you have authority not only to set yourself free, but to stay free. So if the church is going to expand, it needs firstly to have a fresh engagement with the king and come under alignment with him in our life and ways. Then start to express through prayer our authority over everything that hinders it and insist to be removed. So there's always some part we play. The kingdom advances through people who surrender to the king. We say amen? Amen, I want you to close your eyes right now. I've done enough. That's kind of blown. expanded your thinking. We've talked about the kingdom of God, Jesus' message, Jesus' priority, 
Jesus' beginning message, his middle message, his ending message, the apostles' message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. We've looked at what a kingdom is. It's the rule of a king. It's the territory that he rules over. It is the, the, uh, the it could be your finances, it could be your marriage, it could be your family, it could be whatever it is. It, it is a people who say yes to the king, surrender to the king and say your way, Lord, not my way. It's a culture and laws that are different to the culture and laws we come from, and therefore we come into alignment with it. It's priorities. And we saw that deliverance, that Jesus described the kingdom as, as being invisible and changing your heart now in preparation for a coming kingdom. And it's also about a coming kingdom, which will be the highlight of earth's history. This is the magnificent point in history when Christ returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. 1,000 years of governmental rule without demons and the governmental rule of Christ. A period of unprecedented prosperity, creativity, innovation. Amazing. Then we saw that deliverance is the, is, it's the evidence that the kingdom is real. When the kingdom of God demonstrates its greatness and superiority. And as we surrender to the king, demons yield to him. Then we saw that being a part of that kingdom, we need to get rid of defilement and entanglements. And there can be many ways we're entangled, many ways defiled. But today, I want to ask you the question. Do you need to ask Jesus to save you? The Bible describes us as living under the bondage of the prince of this world, an invisible, evil, malevolent power. And when we call upon Jesus and ask him, Lord, save me. I believe when you died on the cross, it was to carry the punishment for my sins. When you rose from the dead, you demonstrated my sins are forgiven. When you receive Christ, something changes spiritually. You are repositioned in a kingdom called the kingdom of love. Sometimes it's so radical that people say what on earth has happened to you but there's others here and perhaps as I've shared you're entangled fear disappointments offenses betrayal you've been betrayed grief because of what you've gone through Perhaps you've been doing things, engaging with occultic activity. Perhaps you've been involved in pornography, other forms of sexual sin. Perhaps there's other addictions that are in your life. And your prayer is, Lord, today, I want to be free of all of that. I want a breakthrough. Why don't we just stand together now as some musicians just play quietly. If that's you and you want to just come forward and say, God, I want to be free today. I want to pray for the power of God to come on you and set you free. I want to pray for you to encounter God's power to set you free. It's not going to take a long time. If you'll position your heart, it'll be quite quick. So just while we sing a song, if that's you today, you want to receive Jesus and become part of the kingdom of God, another kingdom, a kingdom of love, make your way to the front right now. If you want to be set free of something, you say, God, there's fear, there's good, these things in my life, I want you to come today and I'll show you in a couple of steps what you can do to position yourself for the power of God to touch your life. Would you come right now? Let's come as the musicians sing. Come, please come. Come, just make a row across the front right now. Just please come, 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 come. If we have ministry team, you can come and help us as well. Come, perhaps it's a younger person, an older person, whoever it is. Just come while we sing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear. I want you just to close your eyes. Even though I while they're singing, just close your eyes. Don't look at me. I want you to fix your thoughts on Jesus, who is your deliverer. Is there something you need to talk to him about? Something to put right? Tell him now. Prepare your heart. 
This is the first step. Prepare your heart. Is there someone to forgive? Forgive them now. Is there some sin to turn away from? Turn away from it now. I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through thank the you, valley Lord. of the shadow we thank you, Lord. of death, I will fear thank you, Lord. no evil. Thank you, Jesus. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Just keep your eyes closed. Now, this is what I want you to do. Listen to the instructions. I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord. I will lead you through a prayer. It'll be a general prayer, but God saw what you were praying in your heart. At the end of the prayer, I want you to reach out and start to praise the Lord, to honor Him. I will pray a prayer over you to release the power of God and take authority over spirits that have troubled you. The Spirit of God will come on you. The ministry team will come and lay hands on you quickly. There won't be long prayers. We're believing the moment they lay hands, the power of God will hit you and you'll be delivered. So just follow me in this prayer right now. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I declare Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I'm redeemed from the power of darkness. I belong to Jesus Christ. Today, Lord, I renounce all entanglements with evil. I forgive those who've hurt me. And I call upon you today to deliver me, heal me, set me free. In Jesus' name, I command every tormenting spirit, go from my life, go from my life, now in Jesus' name. Now let's worship the Lord. Father, I stand in apostolic office in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak to spirits that are oppressing people now. I break generational curses. I break the hold of witchcraft. I speak into the spirit realm. I bind the spirit of Jezebel. I break all cords of communication and power. I command tormenting spirits, go when I count to three. Spirits of fear, spirits of death, spirits of infirmity, unclean spirits, spirits of trauma, spirits of perversion. On the count of three, go in Jesus' name. One, two, three. Go now in Jesus' name. I will see you. 